0: You're listening to Cloudies with a Chance of Scripture. We're working through Genesis, and the story of Genesis right there in Genesis 2 requires that we talk about marriage, what it is, what it isn't, and all of these kinds of things. So please understand as uh, as we jump into this that I I really... Okay, I just want to make a, a statement before we jump in. First off... We are going to have to talk a little bit about uh, same-sex relationships today, uh, and I know uh, those of you who know me, you already know what I think. Uh, when I look through the Bible, when I look through Scriptures and what Jesus has to say, what God in flesh has to say, uh, same-sex relationships seem to be off of the table. And I I understand that anytime anyone talks about that subject, that they just immediately uh can sound bigoted or can have a uh, tone that they didn't mean to imply, or uh, just sound like they're, you know, being mean or rude. And I understand why it comes across that way because I'm I'm making a tall order based on scripture, right? I mean, if I think that scripture says same-sex relationships are off the table, and I also see how there are people in my life and around me who struggle. Um, with with this idea because they just only feel oriented one way and by no means do they feel attracted to people of the opposite sex you know there are men out there who just it's just men I'm only interested in men and women don't don't attract me at all likewise with women I'm there's women who I'm only interested in women and men don't attract me at all and some of these people would even go so far as to say like I've tried you know I've tried to to find myself attracted to the opposite sex, to fit the Bible's definition of marriage. It's just not happening for me. So I want you to know that, well, I, I don't understand what you're going through, because um, I, I don't want to make that claim. I, I do want to say that I understand that I'm giving you a tall order uh, based on my interpretation of Scripture. So, uh, I think, you know, uh, I hold the Bible as true and right and that we need to live up to what it has to say, uh, but I do understand that is a tall order when it comes to this conversation because singleness is hard. Um, that kind of uh, uh, looking around you and everyone's married and you're not, uh, that's that's hard too. Now, I know that there are actually uh, Christians who, who, who uh, have found themselves with same-sex orientation who have found some interesting ways to, to cope with this. Uh, there are some Christians who, um, they, they, um, maybe a man meets a woman and he just says, look, I'm attracted to men. Uh, there's nothing that I can do to get around it. I've tried. Um, but, uh, this woman still seems open to the prospect of marriage and the two decide that they're going to go through with it because they believe that that's, uh, Uh, The only appropriate form of marriage is for man and woman to come together. And I've heard some interesting stories where people make that work. I know uh, that it sounds a little crazy, (laughs) but at the same time, there's people who have that story behind them. Likewise, I know there's Christians also uh, who—and this is important for uh, straight Christians to hear. A lot of times we think that, like, there's only— people out there who have same-sex orientation that they are only fighting that they would be able to practice that. And that's not true. There are actually people out there, uh, a lot of Christians out there who have same-sex orientation, but they see where the scriptures say that they uh, uh, can't practice same-sex relationships, and therefore these Christians just decide, okay, so I guess I I'm going to remain single as a way to honor God and to not practice what I would view as sin. So uh, yeah, just as we jump into today, I I want to kind of take uh, that moment as a disclaimer. Uh, I don't mean anything I'm saying to be harsh today. I'm just trying to look at what Scripture has to say. I I hope you hear that in my heart, but then also. Uh, I, I want to give credit to the fact that there are people out there who have same-sex orientation but are trying their best to practice it in godly ways, whether that's getting married to someone of the opposite sex, even when they don't have that sexual attraction there, or practicing single life as a way of honoring uh the fact that they believe they can't practice same-sex relationships, even if they feel oriented there. So, uh, yeah, I know that's still not even far enough. I, I should be saying a whole lot more uh, um, to to help you know that I love you and that I care about you and uh, uh, whatnot. Um, but uh, I, I hope that's at least a starter for the rest of the podcast. So please, uh, if you can, do your best just to hear um, love and care in what i'm saying and don't think that i'm i'm trying to come down on you real hard or or anything like that okay so like i said this conversation starts in genesis so let's go ahead and jump into genesis 2 15 through 24 and it's kind of a weird conversation uh where marriage comes from uh, in the light that the bible presents it so let's let's just see what it has to say the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. All right. So right here, just to rewind, we've got uh, God taking Adam and put him, putting him in the garden to work it and keep it. And then realizing, like, Adam needs help. He can't take care of this whole thing alone. Uh, he needs a friend. And so God starts bringing him animals. Yes, to name them, but also to, like, see, like, are these suitable helpers? Can can these help Adam? So, like, <laughs> it's kind of a funny story, right? Like, God brings up to Adam a cow. How about uh, this cow? Can he help you? that work out for you? And Adam's like, uh, not so much, but his name is a cow. We'll call him a cow. Right. And then God brings up another animal and another animal. And by the end of it, like it's, it's making it clear. Like none of these beings work out for Adam. None of these will be like a suitable helper to him. Of course, the story is not like about this cow. You want to marry that? That's not at all. What's being said. Um, because marriage becomes, like, the solution to the fact that uh, there is no helper suitable to Adam. Marriage is, is like, the fix to this. So, God uh, goes ahead and puts Adam to sleep, pulls a bone out, and uses that bone, this ribcage bone that he's pulled out, to create a woman, right? And then, because of this, there's, like, kind of this reuniting to that bone. Hey, Adam, the bone that was inside of you, I've taken it and I've made a woman out of it. Now reunite that bone with your body in the form of woman. And this, this is marriage, this helper that I've created. I made you a special helper. We couldn't find any other helper that worked, any other helper that could fit the mold of what you needed. So I've made this, I've made this woman And, and she is a helper. She's suitable. She's... She's going to do the same kind of jobs you do. She takes care of the earth. And so here you see, like, this by no means is, like, belittling woman or discrediting woman. Like, that's important to know, okay? It's not like, Adam, you go out and you do all this hard work, and I've created women to bring you uh, drinks and food while you do that. And I I know that sounds ridiculous, but it needs to be said because people tend to uh, discredit um, especially, you know, uh, we're especially sexist towards women. Uh, men often get kind of the the uh, more important role in society and women are discredited. But here, like, woman is made to, to work with man and to become one flesh with man. That they would be on the same kind of level working together and completing the mission that God gave them as human beings who are one flesh, working together. Okay, so that's where marriage comes from. And uh, it's important to note here, you've got like a uh, uh, woman being created and a, a, the statement, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The therefore is like this implication back to it, like w- man and woman belong together. This is what marriage is. So, it's important we start with the definition of what marriage is right there in Genesis because it's exactly what uh, um, the Bible believed marriage to be all throughout it. And this is seen in the fact that marriage in the Bible actually, like, it progresses away. It de-evolutionizes into something else. But the Bible never says, like, these something else, these other versions of marriage are legitimate. Uh because we see us uh, getting into a time of of polygamy, right? Where polygamy is practiced, and the Bible kind of says it matter-of-factly, um, rather than call out uh, the moral implications of it, it just kind of states, like, here's Abraham, he's got a wife and a concubine, and this is just kind of the way he lived. Uh, but the Bible never says, like, hey, marriage has gotten better, now we have polygamy. By no means. There's this this understanding in the Bible, like, Actually, we failed. We've moved away from what marriage is is supposed to be Uh, because eventually while we fall into polygamy, we eventually come out of it. And by the time we get to Jesus, Jesus like uh, goes way back in time and quotes Genesis. Okay. So he does, uh, they come up to him and uh, the Pharisees come up to him and they ask him about marriage. And, and, well, actually, they ask him about divorce. We'll get to that in a second. But Jesus doesn't talk about polygamy. Jesus doesn't talk about same-sex relationships. Jesus doesn't talk about any understanding of what marriage is other than Genesis. He rewinds all the way back to the beginning and addresses that passage there. So what we just read is going to come up again in Jesus' teaching right now in uh, Matthew 19, 3 to 9. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of hearts, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. All right, so uh, let's talk about this passage here. There's a lot uh, that could be said out of this. Um, and let's start with the fact that Jesus uh, talks about marriage, and uh, in doing so, he discredits other forms of marriage, and he, uh, he, he says that the only way that marriage is to be practiced is the way that was set up at the very beginning from God himself. So this is important because Jesus, again, he's God in flesh. So if God were to come out of the sky, come to the earth, and tell us what marriage is, we should be listening. And since that's exactly what happens in Jesus, uh, we especially need to pay attention here. So he walks up to us and he states this idea that uh, people can't get divorced because from the beginning it was not so. That implication is bigger than just divorce. That implication is like the beginning of Genesis where God set up marriage, that is the only way... In which marriage is to be practiced. Uh, male and female are to come together. And Jesus even quoted the therefore a man shall leave his father and mother. What's the therefore about? It's about the fact that male and female exist. Since male and female exist, therefore they come together in marriage. Why does he say we can't d- get divorced? Because in the beginning there was no such rule, it was not so. So Jesus holds how God set up marriage in Genesis 2 as the way in which marriage is to be practiced. And in doing that, he discredits polygamy uh, that was practiced by many uh, ancient people, including some of the, uh, the biggest people in our faith, like Abraham, right? Uh, good guy, but obviously he fell short. He de-evolutionized what marriage should be here uh, by having a wife and by having a concubine, and so that was kind of the ancient form. You could have numerous wives, and you could have concubines. Concubines were like spouses, but did not get uh, they did not get as high authority or as high credit in the relationship. So, uh, yeah. So again, Jesus here discredits all of those relationships, but he also discredits uh, the idea of same-sex relationships. And one of the ways in which he does this is just found in the fact that people were practicing same-sex relationships in Jesus' time. We often think like it's a new conversation because we legally just set up some different rules on it, but it's not new. Back in uh, Jesus' time, people were practicing same-sex relationships. So when Jesus comes up to the Pharisees and says, like, male and female come together, um, he's speaking to a culture that was trying to practice this in other ways, and he's, he's saying, uh, almost, almost in silence, he's saying, like, the only way marriage works out is male and female. The only way marriage works out is the way it was in the beginning. Now, uh, here's another hard thing that uh, uh, people have a hard time hearing. Um, right here, Jesus says uh, divorce is a Moses thing. It's not a God thing again, divorce wasn't in the beginning. Uh, Moses apparently created divorce, not God. Uh, and often we get that confused because, you know, Moses puts things into play, and we're like, ah, he's heard the voice of God. But Jesus is clear here. In this case, Moses did not hear the voice of God. Uh, Moses created the idea of divorce because men were just so hardened towards their wives that they, they uh, uh, wanted it an out. And so Moses was just so tired of the bitterness and and all of the anger that Moses caved, and he created divorce. But from a God perspective, there is no such thing. That was not set up in the beginning. The two become one flesh. They are not to be broken. Uh, now, I just want to say this. It's a little arrogant on our behalf. Uh, I, I don't have stats right in front of me, but we all know like Christianity is practicing divorce on a wide scale just like the rest of the world. Um, and we need to recognize that it's a little arrogant on our behalf to go up to people of same-sex orientation and say, look, you have to stay single for the rest of your life. But then straight people are like, look, I'm getting divorced and I've decided to give myself credit to get remarried, uh, rather than fit the criteria that Jesus just said that, like, now I have to stay single for the rest of my life because Jesus said if I were to remarry, it would be adultery. Now Jesus elsewhere says, like, if uh, sexual sin's been committed in your marriage, then there's the right to divorce. And Paul kind of talks about, like, if your spouse has abandoned you, then there's the right to divorce. Um, but otherwise, we have the Bible saying, like, no, uh, there there's no other valid reason to divorce. And because of that, uh, if we could, if we get divorced for an invalid reason, then getting remarried. Our remarriage, therefore, is also invalid. And that just needs to be heard uh, because it's um, very—there's a a big stick in our eye when we go up to people of same-sex relationships and say, uh, you cannot get married, you have to live a single life. But then we go and we practice remarriage um, and say, but as a straight person, I get to get away with uh, practicing marriage outside of the bounds of what Jesus said was acceptable. Now, in case you're wondering, um, given what I've just said and taking Jesus seriously on this lesson, I've come to this own conclusion in my own life. Now, first off, I'm not going to get divorced. My wife is my wife. I've committed to her. We both believe like marriage is for life. Even when things are hard, marriage is for life, and we have to sort it out and commit to one another. But if there were a parallel universe of Jamin somewhere, where Jamin were to have gotten divorced... Um, I've come to this conclusion like if that somehow were to happen, I, I, I personally can't get remarried. I, I don't feel based on what Jesus says in the Bible here, I don't feel that remarriage is an option. Um, that would be outside of the guidelines of how it was in the beginning. Why? Because as Jesus said, you know, we're one flesh uh, and even in divorce, if that's not recognized by Jesus, then even when we're parted from each other, We're still one flesh. So I bring that up just to say um, that should really, if we were all to practice marriage in that way, that should really open our eyes to pay attention to our marriages, to pay attention to our relationships. Because then we would start to recognize, despite the fact that culture says, like, we can end this and start over again. The Bible says, like, this is your one shot. You got this. Work this out. And if you don't work this out, then you've committed your life to a life of singleness on behalf of of your Christian faith. <laughs> if we were to live that way and act that way, well, that would make a a huge difference in the way that uh, uh, we treat our marriages and live our lives. So anyways, uh, that's a tall order for us as as straight people, and we need to, I think, live up to that as well. Okay, um, so as we kind of get ready to wrap up here, I want to uh, just quickly give you um, a few pointers from uh, a great scholar today. Uh, There's a theologian named Preston Sprinkle. Uh, He's got some great books on the topic, but here's what's happened to Preston is when he was doing kind of theological studies on uh, same-sex relationships— he decided, you know what, I don't have any same-sex friends and I need to start, I need to start making some so that I can have this conversation gracefully and know how to enter into it and, and, uh, be able to see it. And as he started making, uh, friends with people who had same-sex orientation, uh, he found himself like really hitting this point of like, man, they're just, they're such good friends. They're such good people. I would like to like believe that same-sex marriage is okay because I want to believe it on their behalf and because I've seen of how badly Christians have treated people of same-sex orientation. Like, I want to be a support to them. And so he started talking to people who believed that uh, same-sex orientation uh, uh, was okay. He started talking to Christians who believed that same-sex orientation was okay, and he listened to the reasons as to why. And in the end, he just kept coming back to his place of No, I mean, none of the reasons they're giving me are strong enough. I still feel like when I read scripture, it keeps telling me, like, same-sex relationship, same-sex marriage is not on the table. And so here's a picture of someone who really wanted to believe otherwise, but no matter what he did, it just never seemed to come down uh, to convince him. Um, And so uh, when he starts his conversations, because he holds big conversations uh, like six-hour sessions on this. I got to attend one recently. Um, when he starts these conversations, he puts chairs in front of everyone, and he tells people stories of uh, uh, gay and lesbian people and transgender people that he knows. He tells them our story, and he leaves the chairs on the stage to say, look, I realize that we're going to be um, promoting uh, the biblical ideal of what marriage is, But I want you to see these chairs on the stage today and recognize, like, we still have to keep these people in mind. Uh, They're real people, and the conversations we're having affect them greatly. Uh, So I I bring him up. uh, First off, if you can read anything by Preston Sprinkle, it'll be very helpful to you. Likewise, he has a podcast called Theology in the Raw, which gets into sexual topics a lot. It'll be very, uh, I think, beneficial to you. Uh, but I, I want, before I quote him, I want you to to know just how loving he is on this topic um, so that you can hear what he has to say on marriage and in a good light. So here's, here's just a few points he points out. We've already talked about a few of them. Uh, but here's, after all of his studying about um, marriage and what it is, here's what he comes down to as to why uh, marriage is just between man and a woman. He says, one, When Scripture talks about marriage, it says that sex difference is a part of what marriage is. So we've already talked about that Uh, in Genesis. They therefore come together because they are man and woman, because they are different. Uh, That is what makes marriage what it is. Uh, I'm turning the page here so that I can find his next point. Uh, 2. When Scripture talks about same-sex sexual relations, it always prohibits them. And you'll see this if you were to look at Leviticus 18:22 and Leviticus 20:13, Romans 1:26 to 27, 1 Corinthians 6:9 through 10, 1 Timothy 1:9 1, through 10. Uh, when you look at passages like these, um, you'll find that each of these passages talks about uh, same-sex relationships. And every time it speaks in the negative about them, it doesn't give space for it to be seen in a positive light. And then, uh, uh, another point that he makes is, uh, for, um, marriage between man and woman. This is a global historic multi-denominational 2000 year agreement. So from a traditional standpoint, um, for 2000 years, the church regardless of differences between the church. For 2,000 years, we've all been on the same page about this. I recognize that we're on different pages now, um, but 2,000 years of unanimous tradition is a very, very strong thing. And I know people don't care too much about tradition today, uh, so please just recognize like, 2,000 years across boundary lines of Christianity uh, the fact that this has all been on the same page, that's actually a very strong argument because, as we all know, the church is often um, not on the same page about all kinds of other things. Anyways, uh, we could elaborate on all of those, but those are three core reasons that Preston Sprinkle gives as to what convinced him that even though he wanted to believe that maybe same-sex marriage would be okay, he still kept coming back. The scriptures continued to convict him in especially these three ways to say uh, no, even though I, I wish I could believe that on behalf of my LGBTQ friends, um, the Scriptures still bring me back to recognize uh, the importance of what marriage is defined as in Genesis and how Jesus, uh, when he looks for a definition of marriage, returns right back to that passage in Genesis. So uh, that's kind of our conversation for today. I recognize that this is a difficult conversation um, for, for many and I hope that you've heard me share it uh, with love and grace while doing my best to maintain the scriptures as well. Uh, There's a few good books on these kinds of topics, uh, but there's one in particular that I'll recommend today. It's by Deborah Hirsch. It's called Redeeming Sex, Naked Conversations About Sexuality and Spirituality. Uh, This book... um, Debra herself, she was in a lot of lesbian relationships and she even talks in her book about how she's now married to a man, but sometimes that's like a learning experience for her from like a sexual standpoint, training herself to, to love a man. And so, um, she would also agree that, uh, marriage is between a man and a woman, but because of her background and because of the, uh, job that she does in helping people, um, with their sexuality and all these kinds of things and because she's a christian like this book is just a it's it's written from someone who should have the ability to speak into the conversation And it's just a really good book on this topic in general. So if you want to learn more, I would suggest checking that out for yourself. And if you need recommendations of other books, just reach out to me and I'll send them your way. Okay, so with all that being said, that's our conversation on marriage today, what it was in the Bible and how that affects what it is as we continue uh, to look at it today. And I hope that's helpful to you.